Welcome back to Green Enterprise, a partnership between my company, Digital Venture Partners, and Black Enterprise, where every week I have a conversation with prominent Black cannabis entrepreneurs that are making inroads to success in cannabis, but more importantly, creating architecture for other Black entrepreneurs to come into the space to find success. This week, to kick off Women's History Month, I have with me two dear friends and business partners, uh, Jessica Couch and Britt Hicks of Women of Color Worldwide. How are y'all doing today? Good, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing great. It's an honor to finally have a conversation with you guys on a public platform because we've had several conversations about, you know, just the position of Black entrepreneurs, particularly younger ones within cannabis and kind of how we can transition our skills into the space. So I'm excited for both of you to share your insights with our viewership today. Absolutely. So I'll start with Britt and then go to Jess. I would love for you guys to give our viewers an idea of what was your background before you got into cannabis and then also how you two came together to form your partnership. Beautiful. So my background is in merchandising and retail technology. So for the last 10 years, I've always worked as a merchant or in layman's term, a buyer um, for different retail partners, different um, brands, and then ultimately landed at Amazon where I spent the last five years of my career um, buying fast fashion products, contemporary denim, um, men's apparel, and really began to transition more of my skill set into the tech space. And so in doing that, I've just really began to develop my acumen for negotiation, vendor management, and just helping really hundreds of brands build their businesses and be more customer centric um, in terms of e-commerce. And so I connected with Jessica because I was looking to really engage with other women of color and black women who were working in retail tech and fashion tech at the time. Um, this was like circa 2017, 2018. It was still very early on in the industry and I found her skill set to be really interesting. So I'll let her kind of share more about um, what she was doing at the time in New York. Absolutely. So um, my background is in fashion technology. So I've been working for tech companies who are trying to solve problems. Um, one of the things I really like to do is identify gaps and like fill those gaps with solutions. And so I was doing that in fashion independently for a few years in New York. I was um, a thought leader in the space and really on top of the idea that fit would change fashion. Um, both Britt and I come from a fashion background. So I did fashion product development. And then I went and studied at Cornell for technology in um, retail. So when Britt and I met, I was in a different space in my career and also looking for a partnership. So not only did I want partnership, but I wanted to see more women of color to kind of figure out were we all having the same problems or what what could we do to fill the gaps in the industry? And so a lot of our skill set um, kind of creates this duality of our business where we have both sides. We're both creative and we're both tech minded. We're both understanding like, you know, all of the aspects of things like fashion or beauty and now cannabis, but we also understand data and insights in the future and all of these wonderful things. So that's our background in a nutshell. But um, before we got into cannabis, we were really doing the same thing. We were trying to solve problems, match people to products, and also understand how did, how are women of color specifically going to be affected in some of these verticals? And now with cannabis, that's what we're gearing up our agency towards, because we do have an agency together, is figuring out how do we serve women of color in this space, as well as how do we create more equity opportunities? Okay, great. And I would love, um, I have, I'll go back to Jess for this question. What do you see as like the shortcomings for how brands try to or don't try to 
um, court the black woman consumer. I think there's this overarching idea in cannabis that you shouldn't market to women and that they'll just consume what their boyfriend or brother or whomever brings home. And I don't think it's a lot of women focused brands. What do you think the effect negatively is on cannabis through that thought by most operators? That is such a great question. Um, the negative effect to answer the question is you're probably losing millions of dollars by not marketing to women specifically. Traditionally, yes, in the in kind of like the um, illegal market, a lot of women relied on boyfriends or partners to choose their selection of weed products. However, women want their expectations managed. So the reasons why we smoke, our behaviors around even ingesting cannabis is completely different. We do it for medicinal purposes. Like we're interested more in um, how we're going to feel. We still have to work. We still are dealing with children and families. So what we're looking for is a different experience than what traditional brands are catering to. I think what they're missing, a lot of traditional brands, is that people who engage in cannabis aren't potheads, right? So it's not like this guy who's a hippie, he's a pothead, he just smokes all day, he's a stoner. That is kind of like a negative stereotype about candidate, can cannabis that needs to be washed away. Women are extremely intelligent. We're very analytical. We have a lot of buying power. We are looking to manage things like our anxiety. We're looking to manage things like our women's health. All of those things is what we're turning to complementary and alternative medicines for. So um, Britt and I, we're doing a little bit of research right now on how women want to consume and engage in cannabis. And what we learned is that Black people, especially Black women, represent 78% of the complementary and alternative medicine users. So complementary and alternative medicines are like, okay, well, I don't feel good. Let's have some tea. Let's pray. Let's meditate. It's any other alternative to actual pharmaceuticals. And we're already on top of that. And it's not just Black women. It's women of color in general. But there's a complete disconnect between what brands are advertising with the lifestyle of cannabis and even like the lack of description of how is this going to affect me? You know, like you have to go on Leafly, you have to go and ask people and do all that when it's like, by understanding a female consumer, you should be tailoring your marketing, your copy and all of your advertisements in a different way so that you can capture us because we're here and we have the spending power. Yeah. Okay, great. And I would love for Britt to go into you know, how you guys are accomplishing that through women of color worldwide. Like what's kind of the thesis around the company? You know, what are some of the things you guys have done in the space and you plan to do in the future? Yeah, so thank you for that question. I think it's a great question. So women of color worldwide is our community. It's our consumer facing brand where we discuss all of the things that Jessica just mentioned, whether it's in beauty, fashion or wellness and cannabis products. Um, so what we've done is really created a space where women can come and talk about those experiences, whether it's as an employee or an entrepreneur working across these spaces and what that experience feels like or as a consumer. And so for us, as we continue to build that community in a very organic way, what we noticed is that women want to share how those experiences can be improved for them and born out of that was our agency, as Jessica mentioned, Fayetteville Road. So through the agency, we've continuously been conducting research across all of these verticals. Early on, when we were working in the beauty space, we learned that women of color want to engage with beauty products, be represented, um, and be reflected in a very specific way in terms of their consumer behavior. But as we continue re researching the cannabis vertical, what we learned is that 
the industry trends already show that women of color will drive consumption in this space, just as we do in beauty. We already outspend our counterparts by 9x on skincare, hair care, and beauty. And as Jess already said, we lead in cam products. So when you think about the legacy market and how women may have consumed products previously, as you said, you know, your friend, your homeboy, whoever is well-versed in that space may be offering you product um, and you're consuming or ingesting that based on what's available to you. But as the market continues to legalize, women want to consume those products in a very different way. When you walk into any CVS and pick up a product, it's going to tell you three things. It's going to tell you what's in it or the active ingredients. It's going to manage your expectations around what it's going to do. And then it's also going to give you some instructions on how to use it. So we all know that when you walk into a dispensary, you don't have that level of product information currently today. And that's how women want to shop. We need um, MSOs and brands to start to mimic some of these consumption behaviors after the skincare, beauty, and health brands in a way that it makes it a better shopping experience for women. And we can manage our expectations around consumption and engaging with these products based on product efficacy and the solutions that we need for our bodies and our families. And so as we continue to conduct more and more research, those are the things that we're discovering and learning and wanting to share with our partners. Okay. I'd like to add that, ex that was so well said, Britt. And we wanna kind of remind brands that even the beauty brands haven't gotten it completely right. So yeah. a lot of things that we do outside of cannabis is helping these brands get it right when speaking specifically to women of color. Because when you're talking to women of color, it's gonna be different than other ethnicities who are don't have these cultural nuances. They don't use complementary and alternative medicines. They can't self-identify as their individual needs. And I think that there is a missing opportunity to say, hey, for this group, especially Black women, what do you guys need and what are you looking for? One of the things Britt and I discuss often is people look at Gen Z, which is a huge population of people, which is great, but you forget that people that are our parents' ages that are 55 and up, they are also looking to complementary and alternative medicines as well, especially for women's health when it comes to menopause or anything. Like we are forgetting about that consumer. And we have a little joke amongst our friends who um, do engage with cannabis. It's like all of our moms will like secretly ask for a gummy or something. They're like, let me get those gummies because it's like maybe they don't want to smoke, but they do want to get the feeling of, you know, well-being and wellness from it, it's just different in how they're procuring it. So there is a huge opportunity, but right now there's not enough data and we're really trying to solve that problem. And transitioning to a more personal question, because I personally believe as a professional in cannabis that the space has been slow to welcome and invite um, inclusion for black women entrepreneurs in the space. It's obvious through just the ownership demographics that is predominantly straight white male owned and you know a very small slice of it goes to everyone else but the smallest slice is black women so you two operating in the space what do you think um, you could lend for advice to other black women who are qualified and, and may be able to excel over here but don't really see uh, an available entry point? Like what is some of the advice you would give to other black women who deserve to be over here as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. I think that attending things, like that is why we have Canna Conversations because we wanted to present a safe space for people to listen to experts across the supply chain, especially women of color, black women, and learn like there is a place for me in this industry. Oftentimes when Britt and I do these type of events, we're gearing them towards education, knowledge, share, and community building for real, because it's like, first you need to learn about something. Then you need to learn 
who it is that can be your ally or a liaison to you. And then you can make a decision to join. My advice would be to attend the, the events that's geared towards your curiosity, as well as reach out to people in the industry and do that. That's the whole reason why Brent and I formed the agency was basically we formed communities first because we realized how difficult it was as women of color to get our feet in the door and see people like us. But once we did it, we realized it's so many other women of color that are gatekeepers. So I would advise people to do some research and don't be afraid to reach out, but also attend as many events as you can and be open, you know, like attend with the intent of learning as well as meeting people because that's been super helpful. And we think that organic connection is worth repeating so that people can figure out what their involvement is. Yeah, I think I would echo a lot of what Jessica said in terms of just not being afraid to collaborate and genuinely network with people. I think so much of our success um, and the opportunities that we've either earned or created or just have been granted to us have come from connecting with people on a very real level and first trying to learn and then trying to contribute, right? So not necessarily competing with people for opportunities, but I think there's more value in collaborating and then understanding how your skill sets can maybe enhance what someone's doing because there's always an opportunity to learn within that. And I think just as you continue to connect with more and more people, you'll find that there are people who want to help you accomplish your goals, um, but there's always value you can add to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. And then I have two more questions. First one would be for both of you, and I guess I'll start with Jess, is I, I like to ask every person who recently came into cannabis this question, theory versus practice. I think we all had a theory of what it would be like over here. And then in practice, it was completely different. So what were some of the things that maybe you personally had a misconception of about cannabis, or you realize this is entirely different um, that you had to adapt to really quickly? So many, but the number one thing that I feel like um, that I had a misconception about was the actual culture of these very, um, like cannabis, the people who are growing it and the people who are like really in love with the culture of cannabis. I had a completely misunderstanding of that because I guess I've only seen the consumer side or the other sides like in the supply chain. So, you know, I even had a stigma about who the cannabis community was. And then when I learned more about it on the education side or, or how I've seen cultivators that talk about their plants like their kids and the love they want to put into it. I didn't realize that this plant has such an emotional connection during the cultivation process and the as organic as the soil is and how it's grown determines how great it is. It really shocks me and it makes me, it's a direct connect between like nature and the spirit and, and just like all these things that resonate as a woman of color who is interested in those type of things. And it was a total disconnect. I think like we, I've seen on the consumer side, I've seen the distributor side. So like, it wasn't this nice loving hippie side about healing and medicines and all these things that really threw me for a loop. And then recently I learned because we had um, Chelsea Higgs Wise on our panel, I had no idea. And we're living in tobacco country. I had no idea that prior to them growing tobacco, they were actually growing cannabis. So like even like the, our history with the cannabis plant and how it was used medicinally and how people kind of engage with it. It's, it's changed my mind about so many aspects of it that I thought I understood and that I find to be beautiful now. I think it's really dope that it's a plant that connects with people, that we have cannabinoid receptors in our bodies and that it responds to like 
love and care. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. So I think that that has blown my mind and it makes me even more of an advocate for its youth, for circular economies and for it helping to create more wealth and more connection and help to heal our communities in the ways that the war on drugs kind of divided us up and created chaos. Yeah, I echo everything Jess said. I think that was hugely eye-opening. I think the, the two things I'll add to that are, um, I've been blown away by what's happening in education related to cannabis and hemp production. Um, I think one, what you're doing with the HBCU initiative is incredible. Um, attending the first event at Southern, we learned so much about the strides they're already taking with medicinal plant wellness and the fact that there are already 20 products on the market produced by a black college in the state of Louisiana is like, that's mind blowing. Um, and I think these are things that people just are not aware of. And we don't have that level of product education, as Jessica said, to even understand like where the industry is, but also creating those opportunities for circular economy where I, I can guarantee that there are people who would want to invest in and support that business. Um, so I think that that's incredible. Or even going back to some of the conversations we've had offline that our audience hasn't been privy to, but I graduated from North Carolina a and I'm very proud of my university. Um, they have a hemp institute that has been doing research in this space for over 10 years in a state where cannabis is not legal, but academia is so far ahead of where we think the cannabis industry is or should be in terms of product education and, and just product innovation. Like I find that mind blowing and I almost feel like it's intentional, right? That like that information is not out there and available for our communities. So I think that's thing number one. And then thing number two is just learning more and more about the ancillary market that supports the cannabis industry. I feel like that's a really great space for people who wanna be involved, but maybe don't understand the supply chain fully or don't wanna engage in plant touching. There are, literally hundreds of opportunities across the cannabis industry where you don't necessarily have to touch or even directly engage with the plant, but can still lend your skill set to the space. And so I'm really excited about those things. And um, I think they were very eye-opening just as we continue to engage more with different institutions and brands and partners. Um, I want more people to know about that. My next question for both of you is being from North Carolina, like what's your opinion on the state of cannabis in your particular state. I know North Carolina has been one of the slowest states to move upon cannabis, much like my home state, Alabama. And there's so many black people in North Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, all these states that have been very slow to get onto the developing opportunities for cannabis. So what is the, the, the idea around the, the plant in your home state and how do you hope to like improve that in the near future? That is a great question. We absolutely hope to first educate all of the conservatives in our state who probably have a misconception about cannabis and all of its uses across the supply chain on why this plant is not only super important to cultivate, but why it's helpful on the medicinal side. We also, I, I mean, I'm a little disappointed, but we're in the South. So you know that the Southerners are traditionally conservative and they're cares and worries are a little different than maybe generally people of color all the time and that's totally fine but i see cannabis as restoring a lot of great things in the south that once existed particularly some of our uh, manufacturing industries in general and our agricultural production 
I think like I learned at the event that you had that one acre of cannabis or maybe hemp produces like $50,000 worth of profit in its time. And that's just one acre. And we have all this land here. We have all these opportunities where farmers can kind of like benefit, but I think the laws have to be balanced so that it is beneficial. And I also think the educational component is going to be huge in North Carolina and Britain. And I were just pondering like, how do we bring the doctors that we know that advocate for cannabis? Because we have some of the largest hospitals here, right? So I'm in Durham. We have down the road, Wake Med. We have UNC Hospital. We have Duke University. And it's like, all of these places have patients that could benefit from the properties that cannabis has. And then we have an opportunity to correct some of the wrongs that happen, particularly me, I'm from Durham and Durham is majority black. And obviously the war on drugs and these unfair arrests and Britt has stats on this, have devastated our communities and limited our ability to have ownership. It's limited our ability to have upward mobility in general. And I think that for us to balance this out in North Carolina, to create jobs and opportunities and educational things, we're gonna to have to teach people about what the cannabis supply chain can really do on a grand mm -hmm. scale. And lastly, I think that I went to NC State and we're really big on production. And I think that the opportunity with hemp is endless, like, right? So it's not just about clothing, but it can replace plastics. It can replace so many things that these institutions need to think about the future and the innovation behind this plant that is literally the most sustainable plant that we probably can work with. Not even bamboo can be reduced down into fabric without all the chemicals, but hemp doesn't require those levels of chemicals, but it does produce things that could replace linens and cottons and so many things. So although we know that the South is slow, um, we have faith that through education and the right partnerships and the right, getting the right universities on board and incentivizing them properly, we really, really hope to see the industry grow here and um, we catch on and do better than maybe some of the other states who haven't figured it out yet. Like Virginia just did, I think the GOP knocked their bill out so that you can't do, um, you can't do sales. That sucks. I hope we're better than Virginia. <laughs> it's a pretty low bar, but that would be great. Um, so echo everything Jess said, we actually were just having a conversation the other day about maybe doing like a church tour, which I know sounds a little antiquated, but it us kicked out of North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think it's important, right? Because in the South, churches are still a very important sociopolitical tool to get information out about what's happening in our community. And so I think when you, when I think of North Carolina, the things that come to mind in terms of how we can move this forward are one, we have the most HBCUs in one state in the country. So that's like one thing. And then when you think about black colleges in general, most of these colleges are land grant institutions. They have farms, they have land, um, and they're doing research in the biosciences, life sciences, all of these spaces, right? Where they can contribute to the pedagogy of work that is going to make cannabis the future. But then I also think about, as just said, we have some of the largest hospital systems in the country also conducting a lot of um, industry leading research around wellness. And then, I don't know, I think the ideas around cannabis as a plant and consumption are very antiquated here. So trying to find opportunities where we can educate people at a very grassroots level. So like, like I said, starting with church, like, did you know that cannabis can help lower your grandma's blood pressure? That is like one tool that I think we can use to unlock some of the misconceptions around what this plant is, what it does. And it's like, not just, you know, to get you high. 
Um, so some of the things that we're thinking about doing in the future is bringing Canna conversations to North Carolina so that we can start to socialize those ideas and have those conversations. Um, but we're also working with some of the local universities to host expungement clinics and talk about employment from that perspective. Um, expunging your record can increase your lifetime income by 25%. That's really important for people to know. And specifically, again, in North Carolina, where we have some of the largest military bases, you know, men who are um, truckers or maybe own trucking companies, they can't get on these bases with their trucking credentials if their records have not been expunged for these crimes that people are now making like millions of dollars, right, selling cannabis. Um, I don't know. I just think we have a very deep and rich history with um, the war on drugs, specifically here in North Carolina. The next, or I guess the first clinic that we're going to be hosting will be in Durham, as Jessica mentioned. Um, we were recently doing some research on the area and that's an important city for us. One, because um, there's just a deep and rich history of entrepreneurship in Durham as well as Raleigh. But in that particular area, um, the population statistics show that about 40% of the population is black. But when you look at the arrest records related to marijuana and cannabis, 78% of the arrests in one year were black men between the ages of 24 and 35. So it's like, there's a disconnect here and we have to begin to do some of the work. Even though the plant is not legal here, there are things that we can do to improve people's lives who've been impacted by this. So those are our goals, those are our thoughts, um, but we'll keep you posted on what we do next. Okay. Oh, thank you both so much. I genuinely appreciate it. I hope you both know how impactful your work is, just your presence in the space is. You know, I'm genuinely proud to say I know you and work with you and you are who you say you are, you deliver on what you say you're gonna do and you create a real architecture for other black women to come in here and do it as well and even better than you guys are doing, which is what we're all supposed to be setting out to do. I would love for you to give our viewers uh, an idea of where they can follow you both personally as well as your companies in case they have any questions or wanna reach out to you directly. Absolutely, first of all, thank you, Andrew, you guys blush and real like Southern Bells, you know, thank you. But um, for more information about us, you can go to wocworldwide.com. So W-O-C as in women of color, worldwide.com. You can follow me on my personal Instagram. It's at <laughs> underscore Jessica Veronica and then underscore again. Yep. And I'm at Just Call Me Hicks. And we're also on Instagram for W-O-C. So you can follow us at W-O-C Worldwide. Perfect. Thank you, ladies, so much. And I look forward to your success in the space and all that you will accomplish. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Same. Thanks for having us.